can we begin? I think that's okay. Yeah. And uh, first of all, are there questions? Yeah, are there questions? Can we take them on? Yeah. Can we get some questions from anybody? Okay, fine. Then let's just go on. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about truth, justice, temperance, right? And we're talking about how these are very important uh, kind of absolute values. First of all, there are no absolute values in the real world, right? So we're talking, when people talk about an absolute value of truth, justice, temperance, right? We know that we have to look at it with a, mount, a lot of moderation, right? Because unless we do that, we don't get a real kind of understanding, right? So when we talk about people as having all these values, what actually happens is how much is uh, the actual thing and the real what is the gap between them? That's what we have to think about again and again. And that's what he's doing by having Lilliput, Bob Ding Dang and all those kind of things, right? That's exactly how you're trying to temper it down. Because as we said yesterday, we have this idea of the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The golden mean, right? The neoclassical golden mean and the idea of finding a balance, right? And that's exactly what happens over here, right? But they suppose truth, justice, temperance, and the like be in every man's power, the practice of which virtues, assisted by experience and good intention, would qualify any man for the service of his country, except where a course of study is required, right? Okay, now we're talking about the belief in human beings and all people are by and large good, Right? That's what Plato believes, as you know, you're studying Plato, right? And the idea of truth, justice and temperance, actually these are some things that you find in the Arthurian legends, right? And these are important kinds of value systems which are part of the world of Lilliput, right? And he says, unless there is some good intentions and experience are something that is important right yeah so the question is the idea is that's where it gets tempered or tempered down when you have all these values and the question is how judiciously do you use these values right and uh, that's when we come into something that today we call situational ethics and some people believe that all ethics has to be situational right but that doesn't happen because people look at uh, the ideal of truth, justice, temperance, etc., right? And the reality, when the reality and the ideal differ quite a bit, right? So that's uh, where we begin with, right? And uh, uh, here we have this idea of, yeah, uh, any man uh, yeah, would qualify any man for the service of his country except where a course of study is required, right? Yeah, so now you also have the idea of being a good human being and qualification, right? And both are important, right? We can't have unqualified people running the government, which is happening in our country today, right? A lot of people 
are unqualified and they're not supposed to be where they are, but they are there and that's exactly where all the problems begin, right? Uh, and of course, what they would do over here in, um, in this kind of setting is that they would have the best qualified people if they need qualification to run that thing. Otherwise, they would rely on uh, the values of truth, justice and temperance and the idea of experience and good intention, right? Experience is where you make, make these ideals real, right? And you have to find the, uh, what you call the mean, or you have to find how much of it can be actually put into practice, right? Because these are uh, very, very ideal kind of things. And you're studying Plato, and you've talked about his realm of ideas, right? What happens on the earth, right? That's what Aristotle would teach us, right? So uh, that's where the, this is something which we call uh, Neoplatonism, right? Yeah, and Neoplatonism happens much before Swift, of course, right? Uh, in uh, Europe, in England, uh, sorry, in uh, Europe, not in England, right? Uh, and that is combining Plato, Aristotle, a num number of uh, different kinds of thinkers who have gone in and they get, or they put together this idea of a new kind of understanding of Plato, which later becomes almost synonymous with the idea of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, which is the church that takes over from the, the Romans, right? Yeah, uh, if you've read all that in your th critical theory, right? Uh, now, so, yeah, but they thought the want of moral virtues was so far from being supplied by a superior endowments of the mind their employments could never be put into such dangerous hands as those of persons so qualified and at least and the mistakes committed by ignorance in a virtuous disposition would never be such fatal consequences to the public weal as the practices of a man whose inclinations led him to be corrupt and had great abilities to manage and multiply and defend his corruption. Right? Yeah, so they said, well, if a person makes a mistake because he's not qualified, that may be less than uh, what a person who's absolutely uh, corrupt goes about doing, right? So we're talking about something that is in moral theology called the defect of virtue, right? And that's important and interesting because the question is, I might be a so-called good man, but I may not be doing anything at all, right? So that's the defect of virtue. What is the limit of goodness, right? Yeah. So if I'm a law-abiding person, I have all these so-called values, but I don't do anything at all, right? And if a person is being uh, tortured, I keep quiet. I don't do anything, and that's the defect of my goodness, right? Yeah. So I can't be good, and every virtue has a defect. That's what he's talking about, right? And uh, yeah, so the moral virtues are always uh, defective, and everything has a defect. The ideal has got a defect, right? It, so he's talking about uh, mistakes committed by ignorance, right? And of course, from a Platonic point of view, whatever we do, even the wicked people, uh, or what we call wicked people, are actually ignorant people, 
yeah? And Buddha and Plato perhaps come very close together when we're talking about the idea of ignorance being actually the problem, not wickedness, right? Yeah, and if we talk about somebody as wicked, it's actually uh, a wrong kind of pronouncement because people are ignorant and they're not wicked. They're basically good, right? So that's this typical Platonic understanding. In like manner, the disbelief of a divine providence renders a man incapable of holding any public station. For since kings avow themselves to the de uh, deputies of provinces, okay, so now you say, uh, if you do not believe in God, then you can't, or not only God, but divine, uh, what's the word that he uses? Uh, yeah, divine providence, right? Yeah, so you're talking about how God makes everything happen. So he's talking about belief in God, etc., etc., right? Uh, and to think that nothing can be more absurd than this for a prince to employ such men as disown the authority under which he acts, right? So they actually believe in God. Now, is that sarcastic? Is that not sarcastic? That's a question to be asked, right? Yeah, and he's talking about Okay, in today's world, we would think perhaps that's really sarcastic. And maybe he is being sarcastic. I don't really know how to judge that sentence, right? Yeah, because the idea is you're saying that these people believe in God and they believe in God's providence and all that kind of thing, right? From today's point of view, we'll be very skeptical about this kind of thing, right? Yeah, because when you talk about the religious people, they actually believe in God coming and solving everybody's problem, right? Yeah, and you get other people who say, well, we have to work and solve the problem, right? In fact, when I was uh, teaching Latin American literature, we have three classes of people, okay? The conservatives, who are all the church people in Latin America, right? And they believe, and we are talking largely about church people itself, right? Yeah, so they actually believe that uh, you have over here, God will come and solve all our problems, right? And we know for a fact, okay, whether it's India or it's Latin America or it's Europe or anywhere else, unless human beings do something, the problems can't be solved, right? And the Latin Americans have a problem which is called the developmental model, which is a European and an American model. Of course, India has taken it up in big, in big ways and they've just bought this uh, European and American model even now, okay? And that's why we're not free. Right? Yeah. Uh, so actually, the developmental model is not a culturally free model because it's using what is important to the Americans and the Europeans for all the other people of the world. Right? And that's what is the developmental model, which is actually for the Latin Americans. That's what is a capitalistic model, which is not something that is okay for them. Right? Yeah. So the question is. When we're talking about what is good and what is not good, what is good for a people, what is not good for a people, we have to talk about whether God will come and solve all the problems, right? Which, uh, even if you're a believer and you believe God is going to solve all the problems, what are you doing about it? And how do you get it done, right? So the people who are conservative actually believe in God, right? And think that God will solve all the problems, but a realistic person will know that God doesn't solve the problems. And the Latin American uh, theologians think of 
the third category of theologians, right? Uh, and you get the developmentalist who borrow the European models and make life miserable for the culture of Latin Americans because what is uh, necessary for the Europeans and the Americans is not necessary for the Latin Americans, right? Yeah, so that's the cultural turn that takes place and they have the third category of people, the revolutionaries who are actually talking about the culture and they're talking about how do you get cultural transformation taking place, right? I'm sorry to take you from England to Latin America, but that's what the travel narratives do, right? So the tra travel narratives actually talking about another culture, right? And you get a lot of travel narratives of Latin America also, because Latin America is one of the first things that the Europeans discover, which is so unlike them, right? Yeah, and so unlike uh, whatever Europe has actually stood for, right? Uh, okay, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, then for a prince to employ such me uh, men as disown the authority under which he acts, right? In relate in relating these and uh, and the following laws, I would only understood. Uh, uh, I would only be understood to mean the original institutions and not the most scandalous corruptions into which these peoples have fallen by the de degenerate nature of man, right? Now we're talking about the idea is uh, the most important kind of lesson that we have to learn is human nature seems the lowest, right? Seeks the lowest like water, seeking the lowest level, human nature seeks the lowest level, right? Something that we all observe in India, right? And we can see what's happening to our educational system. We can see what's happening to all the systems, right? Because when we are lazy, to keep all these institutions alive, you have to actually go against human nature, right? Yeah, so he's actually saying that, look, when we're talking about corruption, what is corruption? That's human nature, uh, which doesn't think about looking after itself and uh, keeping up institutions, right? And of course, the the accusation against the present government is the corruption or the, uh, the the breaking down of all institutions which existed before they came into power, right? Yeah, and which are old institutions like the Reserve Bank and the Supreme Court and the courts, the the police, uh, yeah, and all those kind of things. Uh, it's not that these were uncorrupt places, but uh, the corruption has reached a level in India which is really problematic, right? And actually, the, the question is, will we survive as India or not is something that many people are anxious about because the economic system is collapsing, the judicial system is collapsing, the police system is collapsing, and we all know about this from all the news items we get in the newspapers, right? Yeah. So the question, of course, is what is happening is the uh, we go down to the lowest common denominator and we go down to the lowest level and that's exactly what he's talking about. For as to that infamous, infamous practice of acquiring great employments by dancing on the ropes or badges of favor and distinction by leaping over sticks and creeping under them, the reader is to observe that they were first introduced to the grandfather of the emperor now reigning and grew to the present height by the gradual increase of party 
and faction, right? Now he's talking about the politics of England, right? And he's also uh, being very, very sarcastic and he's talking about jumping over the ropes and jumping under the ropes and that's a metaphor for climbing up the ladder, right? By doing all the tricks, right? And he's using the idea of rope tricks, right? So you dance around, you bend down, you touch somebody's toes, you, you bend down under the moral law, right? And do whatever the emperor wants so that you can get where you want. And when you look at the emperor over there, right? And you see that all these people have risen in power, it's only because of corruption and they're bargaining with the emperor or the person in power to reach where they reached, right? Ingratitude is among them a capital crime, right? Now that's exactly where the problem begins, right? So the idea is, I do a favor to you, you do a favor for me, and he's very critical about that because actually this is what is destroying not only India, but it destroys any country, right? When everything is a favor-based stuff, right? I give you a job because of a favor done to me. Now the favor, of course, can be a sexual favor, right? And that's done a lot of times in India also, right? Yeah, and that's uh, absolutely, many people think that it's immoral, but many other people don't have a problem with it, right? The corporate people don't have a problem with it, right? Yeah, sleeping your way up to the top is not a problem for many people, right? So the question is, uh, you have this in Gashiram Kotwal, yeah, uh, Tvindulkar's Gashiram Kotwal, right? Yeah, and that becomes a huge kind of slur on Nana Fadnavis, right? Yeah, and Gashiram, of course, uh, is finished off in the play, right? Uh, uh, ingratitude is among the cap, uh, them a capital crime, as we read it to have been in some other countries, for they reason thus that whoever makes ill returns to his benefactor must need to be a common enemy or the rest, to the rest of mankind from whom he had received the obligation and therefore such a man is not fit to live, right? Now, of course, he's very, very politely in a very British style saying that, listen, this is what they're doing. They're taking favors from people, right? And ingratitude is supposed to be a great crime. Right? And he's talking about India also, right? Yeah, in India, this whole idea of ingratitude and gratitude, and how do we use that, right? Uh, you might like to look up a book called The Gift by Master Moss, right? And we're talking about gifts. And in the history of India, we talk about uh, Bentic, uh, we talk about Clive, and we talk about Hastings, right? And the whole idea of gift giving and gift receiving, right? and the idea of what is a bribe and what is a gift, right? Which is something that's very much a part of our culture, right? I remember Professor Dave from North Gujarat University who was my head when I was working there. Uh, when he went to uh, Britain uh, for the Hardy Centenary, he was called because he was a Hardy scholar, right? Uh, what is interesting is uh, he asked, he was told by the, the British people that uh, the Indian students who come there, right, when they're not capable of doing their work, right, they start giving gifts to the teachers, right, which is something that is practiced all over, right, and, uh, and of course the British won't bother about them, they'll take the gifts and they'll give them the same kind of marks, right, so they, they get very upset about that, so that's a cultural problem, right, yeah, so 
Of course, what it means is that uh, that's leading to corruption and that's what he calls corruption, right? So the question is, what is corruption? It's an issue that the text is raising, right? And corruption is in all sorts of ways, right? Like not taking a lecture is corruption, right? I'm getting a pay, I have to take a lecture, right? Yeah, and if I don't take a lecture, that's corruption, right? Yeah, and it's not about only giving marks or giving a job to somebody, right? That's again another way of corruption, and that's handled because we know about Amna Hazare and all the people in power, whether it's Kiran Bedi or Baba Ramdev or the present BJP government, all these things, right? Yeah, all these people came up on this anti-corruption march, right? Yeah, and we understand corruption in a different way because our culture is totally corrupt all over the place, right? Yeah, and the level of corruption is very high, right? Yeah, and the question is, how do we get rid of the corruption? There's only one way, by educating people, but in the educational institutions itself, there's so much of corruption, right? Then how do we educate that, right? How do you educate the educators, okay? And what is corruption? And how do you negotiate with this thing called corruption, right? So when one culture, what one culture calls corruption for another culture is not corruption. I think I talked about Gauri Deshpande uh, yesterday, right? Yeah, and she says, well, if you say, Gauri Deshpande wears pants and Gauri Deshpande drinks and smokes, right? Then Gauri Deshpande is a bad woman, right? If you say Gauri Deshpande takes money, right? She's not a bad person because that's what we all do, right? Yeah, and that's something that is obvious to culture and that doesn't appear as a crime at all, right? Yeah, so that's something that we have to take note of, right? And here we have the notions relating to the duties of parents and children differ extremely from ours. For since the conjugation of male and female is founded upon the great law of nature in order to propagate and continue the species, the Lilliputians will needs have it that men and women are joined together like other animals by the motives of concupiscence and that their tenderness towards the young proceeds from the like national principle, natural principle for which reasons they will never allow that a child is under any obligation to his father for begetting him or to his mother for bringing him up into the world which considering the miseries of human life was neither a benefit in itself or intended so by his parents uh, whose thoughts of their love encounters were otherwise employed upon these and, and the like reasonings the opinion is that parents are the last of all others to be trusted with the education of their own children and therefore they have in every town public nurseries uh, where all parents except cottagers and labourers are obliged to send their infants of both sexes to be reared and educated when they come to the age of 20 moons at which time they are supposed to have some rudiments of docility, right? Now that's again a long, long sentence, right? Yeah. Now he's talking about the idea of schooling and they're talking about schooling which everybody is supposed to do and he says something very important that is parents are not good educators, right? Yeah, I have this poem just right behind me. You might like to look at it. It's by a modern movement poet called Philip Larkin. And it goes this way, which says, 
They fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you, right? But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style coats and hats who half the time were stuffy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as easy as, as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself, right? That's a movement poet, Philip Larkin, from the 20th century, right? But this is an idea from Plato, right? So Plato is saying that people who are trained in educating children should be given the care of children, right? The biological parents are not fit to, treat, to teach their children, right? And the state should take charge of children and actually educate them, right? So some Plato is being used over here, right? And this is a Platonic idea, right? Which you find again in people like Addison and Steele, though there's, there's some accounts which say that Swift broke off from Addison and Steele in some ways. I don't really know what the debate is, right? But uh, Addison and Steele also have this track where they're talking about sending a child to a friend to be educated, right? Yeah, so that the child doesn't get spoiled at one, right? And that the other person treats him with decency, right? Uh, and it's only him, right? And of course, what Swift is talking about, he's talking about universal education about gender, right? So uh, he's very, very progressive, right? And in spite of the fact, right up to Victorian England, that women were not sent to be educated, right? Yeah, he's actually talking about how do you get uh, people educated and all the people. And of course, there are the people who are cottagers and laborers, except their children, everybody else is allowed, right? Now these are outside the realm of, uh, they're probably thought of as lower than other people, etc., right? And they, they don't get an education, right? Yeah, so I think, uh, that's uh, yeah the age of 20 moon and all that kind of thing he's saying right yeah so what is interesting is the nurseries for males of noble or eminent birth are provided with grave and learned professors okay now we come to the hierarchy of the system right now if you come from noble birth what is that noble birth if you belong to a king or you have some kind of nobility attached to you right yeah so we are second cousin of the queen or the king or whatever that is, right? So Britain has a, a long kind of hierarchical nobility, right? Yeah, and you get all those kind of nobles who are at different levels, right? Yeah, so uh, if you look uh, want, you can go and look, at, look for that, right? Uh, so the learned professors teach the, the males, right? The males, right? The nurseries for males of normal or eminent birth are provided with grave and learned professors and their several deputies. The clothes and food of the children are plain and simple. They are bred up in the principles of honor, justice, courage, modesty, clemency, religion, and love of their country. They are always employed in some business, right? So you're talking about what are the values that you teach the children and who teaches them, right? And he's still talking about a hierarchy because that's exactly how the British society operates, right? 
Okay, except that he's talking about women being educated. At that point of time, women were not educated in Britain at all, right? Yeah, and he's talking about a, a distinction, and you get okay, and of course that's something that's sad and terrible in even in our world, right? I remember uh, Professor Dave again, who was my head of the department in Patan, uh, and there was Professor P K Takar from Gujarat University who came to North Gujarat to give some lectures, right? And uh, he was, uh, yeah, I think he was a linguist. Right, and he was uh, very good in linguistics. Right, so they had a discussion, and Dr. Dave took a position. Right, and Professor Thakur said, "You know, we are Brahmins, and this and that and the other." And Dr. Dave said, "Well, forget all that. Don't talk about all these things because every child is equal. Right? Okay, you bring them up in a certain way. Right, and that's why they become better or worse. Right, and that's." Uh, of course, Dr. Dave is a Platonist, right? He he very very fond of Plato, right? But what is interesting about it is uh, what we say over here is if you bring all the children up on their own, and that's the model that Plato is giving, you find out who's good and who's bad. It's nothing. So what what uh, Swift is doing is he's talking about the Platonic model and what's going on in England, right? Yeah, and actually he's talking about Lilliput. Right? Yeah. So it looks as if he's talking about Lilliput, but he's talking about England, and he's talking about how different are they from the Platonic values, right? Because the idea of how do you get a good citizen is what is important for Plato, right? Okay. And what happens over here is we're talking about the the people who are uh, kept out. Some are kept out of the system, right? Like we have in India, the caste system, right? Yeah. And that's right up till independence, and even now, even today, if you are a woman and a Dalit, uh, yeah, you might be raped if you go to school, right? And that's the end of your education. Or they might stop you. Like uh, there was a case of a girl who wanted to study, and she used to go cycling for many miles, many kilometers, right? And then the men didn't want it, right? The men and the upper caste people didn't want it, so they all try to say that well, you can go to school. But don't pass this way, right? And she had to pass through other people's fields because that's the way it was, right? And that's the end of the education, right? So uh, we're talking about what exactly happens over here, right? Yeah. And Professor Dave was uh, a very, very interesting Platonic point where he says that look, everybody is equal, okay? Remove all these distinctions, remove all these labels of caste and religion and all these things, and let's teach all the people together. Right? Then, from those people will emerge real students who are interested in studying with different capabilities. Right? And those, the different capabilities have to be uh, garnered and nurtured so that you get experts. Right? So that's the idea that you have over here. Right? A very very Platonic idea. And you say, well, the Lilliputians don't follow it, which is the British also don't follow it. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and love of the country, they are always employed in some business except in the time of eating and sleeping, which are very short, and two hours of diversions consisting the bodily exercises. Now, this is a typical Platonic way of operation, right? And the British system of education also talks about a holistic 
kind of development of human beings, right? Yeah. So it's not about studying all the time, but you have to be good in sports, good in administration, and that cut from uh, Renaissance England, right? Where you talk about the poet, philosopher, scholar, uh, uh, bureaucrat altogether, right? It's Philip Sidney's idea, which you study Philip Sidney anyhow when you're doing your criticism, right? And Philip Sidney has this idea of statesmen, scholars, all that kind of thing, which Ophelia uses for Hamlet, right? Such a great mind is here overthrown and all that kind of thing. You look at the speech, right? And that's actually talking about Hamlet as a soldier, as a scholar, as a, a, a statesman, and all those things wrapped up together, right? Uh, so that's the Renaissance man ideal that we're talking about, yeah? And the idea is, except when eating and sleeping, they're kept occupied all the time, right? Yeah, and they keep doing all sorts of things, and they have hours for exercise, and they're talking about education of people, right? Now, education of people is a very important aspect of looking at the country, right? And we look at our own country, and the GDP rate of education goes down every year, right? It's, it, they don't care about education, right? And many other, many other countries in Europe and other parts of the world care about education and education is supposed to be free and education is supposed to be a right for everybody, right? Yeah, in Germany, if you say that uh, one student came in and he uh, asked me, he said, uh, can I join? And uh, he's left a long time ago, he's a musician. I said, well, I think you can, you can go and ask the dean, right? And then he found out that he couldn't join, right? Because he's not, he couldn't join our university, right? Now that's something that can't happen in Germany, yeah? That can't happen in any other part of the world because they actually believe that education is a right, right? And higher education is also a right, right? It's not that it's only for some people, right? And over here in India, in spite of RTE and in spite of reservation for women and Dalits and all that, we still see that these things are discouraged and we don't care for education, right? Yeah, and uh, of course, with the NEP, right, the National Education Policy, which is out today, right, or the draft National Education Policy, there is this going back to the caste system, which is terrible, right? This is going back to women being coolies and cooks and all that, which is very subtly uh, there in the text, right? Uh, it's not spelled out. It looks like skill development is more important than understandings of philosophy. Right? So you can read the text, and if you like, we can have a discussion on the national education policy, keeping in mind what Swift is saying over here, because education is a very important subject for all governments, right? And he's talking about the British system through talking about the Liliputans, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, this is a serious kind of debate that is going on, and this is actually a cultural critique that he's actually doing, right? Uh, they are dressed for, yeah, uh, they are dressed by men till four years of age and then are obliged to dress themselves, although uh, their quality, I can't read this because it's got a stamp, uh, their quality be ever so great and the women attendants who are aged uh, proportionably to ours at 50 perform only the most menial offices, right? Now he's talking about the idea of 
the men and the women and the whole idea of the gender issue which comes up over here right some of you might be taking feminism and you can look at it over here because you're talking about the idea of women being given menial jobs men okay so the idea of gendering work is a big problem right gendering language gendering work all these issues are actually what he's talking about right not really very comfortably right um, and uh, they are never suffered to convene uh, converse with servants but go together in small or greater numbers to take their diversions and always in the presence of a professor or one of his deputies whereby they avoid those early bad impressions of folly and vice to which our children are subject right yeah so he say they always with a superior right and it's assumed that a professor is above the rung of all the other people right but that's not so because as he says in the previous page human nature is always what you call uh corruptible and slowly people go down poles right yeah so you can uh so he says and this is not something that we have in this country because children can get into subject advice and he thinks that the servant class are the people who might be influencing or getting children into bad habits right or what bad habits whether sexuality i don't know because there is a whole lot of sexuality which is suppressed in swift right and in own life right so all those kind of things uh whether it is orbindo and kipling or it is swift right all these issues uh, after freud become uh, very serious kinds of concerns right so when he's saying all this what does he actually mean is he talking about sexuality and vices and follies right is he talking about sexuality right or not right and that those are important things right and to say that the professor is above all these things is again problematic because we in a real world we know that these are things that for any human being right is subject to right yeah so it's not that uh, a professor is above the common rung of human beings or is not capable of vice or is not capable of folly etc right uh, their parents are suffered to see them only twice a year right now that's an interesting thing because that's actually talking about how you detach children from their parents right which is a very important thing to do right okay because when you talk about the animals and people love, like to talk about animals right animals get rid of their children in a very short period of time right sometimes in some months the, the children are on their own and some animals never see their children at all right or the offspring at all right and they lay the eggs and go away and the the eggs hatch and the turtles do that and the crocodiles may be doing that i don't know who, uh, which animals do that right yeah and it's only the human beings who uh, look after their children right into adulthood right yeah so that's a, a critique of education and a critique of how things go by yeah and he says only two visits a year the visit is to last but an hour only for one hour for two hours in a year you're supposed to visit your children okay and parents and children can meet for two hours in a year right so all this uh the umbilical cord okay uh the metaphorical umbilical cord between the parents and children are snapped right and the the the, the children 
don't have this high regard for their parents that uh, they normally uh, in cultures like ours would, right? And not only ours, many cultures you have this idea of you have, you think of the parent, uh, all little children think of their parents as superheroes who can do a lot of things, right? And it's only uh, in adolescence that they come to know that the, their parents are people who are as human as them, right? And have flaws and failings, right? So you, you don't expect that your parent is a superstar, right? Okay, as children, the, the, the little children normally think that parents are superstars and they are flawless and they can solve all the problems in the world, right? Yeah, and it's only later that they come to realize uh, that uh, they that's a godlike image that they give to the parents. Yeah, you have a question? I'll look at your question, right? Uh, filial piety is an important concept in Asia. It's not only in Asia, right? Uh, it's probably all over the world, right? Yeah, you have this idea of, uh, yeah, that's all over the world. It's it's uh, something that is associated with machismo and it's a kind of cultural uh, trope that you have all, almost all over, right? What happens if the if the father or the father and mother are drunkards, right? Yeah, that's a question that one has to ask, right? Where you see the father drunk, you see the mother drunk, then what happens to a child, right? And if the father is absent, that's important, yeah? Uh, like you have many cultures where the father is not important anymore, okay? And sometimes uh, nobody knows who the father is, right? Yeah, the children don't know who the father is. You can, if you're interested, you can read this book by George Laming, which is called In the Castle of My Skin, right? Yeah, and those pro, uh, actually propose a very serious challenge to Freud and his understanding of the family. Right? Yeah? Because what is happening over there is in the castle of my skin, right? You have the idea of no father. Right? Yeah? Now the understanding, uh, one person was reading a paper, I, I think it was in Calcutta, right? In Jadapur, when I went for a conference and this person was reading on in the castle of my skin and she says, well, the poor child doesn't have a father. Uh, well, he's celebrating and he's very happy without even knowing who is a father and he doesn't even care about not having a father, right? That's a different culture, right? In some cultures, if you don't have a father here, yeah, you might have a problem, right? Even if a father dies in childhood or before you're born or something like that, you many people have a problem saying, well, what's what about the father, right? Now, in, in a culture which doesn't care about who's your father, doesn't care about marriage, right? That's a different kind of culture, right? Yeah, so thanks for getting that question up, right? And the question is, uh, the, the whole idea of filial piety is limited to some cultures, right? So that's again what is being questioned, right? Yeah, so if you question all that, then it becomes very interesting because uh, what is important over here, right? Yeah? Uh, and if you meet your parents for two hours a year, right? The idea of parental influence becomes zero, right? In two hours a year, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, so you are talking about weaning away children from their parents and actually making them think and act independently, right? So that's an ideal, okay? 
and he's talking about this okay and some of it is talking about England some of it is not talking about England right yeah so uh, uh, he's talking about the ideal world and he's talking about what's going on also over here right uh, yeah uh, they are they are never suffered to converse with servants I finished that their parents have suffered to see them yeah look at the word suffer to see them that's all a different kind of English right yeah are forced to see them all those kind of things we use today the English has changed right uh, twice a year the visit is to last but an hour they are allowed to kiss the child at meeting and parting but a professor who always stands by on those occasions will not suffer them to whisper or use any fondling expressions or bring any presents or toys sweetmeats and the like right <laughs> so that's a very serious kind of a charge right so you're going to see your son or your daughter and you're not allowed to kiss you're allowed to kiss them that's the english custom you kiss child the kissing is not a problem for them right kissing is a problem in india right if anybody even if a child kisses the parents or the parents kisses child in public um, there'll be a lot of scandal around the place right yeah so all those kind of things are very funny right and that's why we had some kissing protests in uh, uh, universities in india right and of course one of our students said what about one over here i said why don't you organize it if you're so interested right yeah uh, yes so uh, we have all those kind of things going on and uh, there, so there is a kind of distance that they're talking about and they're also saying that the professor is going to be there which is disgusting okay which is a kind of surveillance system right it's not giving people freedom there's too much of control right yeah so that's again something that you might uh, is he talking about England I don't know right yeah so we uh, will have to actually go down and find out is he talking about England or is he talking about this is a rule that should be there right because what happens actually with Swift is personally and when you uh, when I give you uh, Norman Brown's essay maybe I'll look for it and uh, send it to you right so you can look at it and you can see the psychosocial uh, the psychosexual dimensions of what happens to him right yeah so what happens to him what happens to his nursing uh, or being looked after by nurses etc right uh, that's very similar to what happens to Aurobindo and what happens to Rudyard Kipling right and I would uh, urge you all to uh, uh, read the illegitimacy of nationalism right by uh, Ashish Nandi right yeah so please do that I've got another question uh, so how do we read this section uh, is it irony or is it not right yeah uh, at one level yes it is right at another level it's trying to avoid uh, being in trouble right so this is a very careful kind of path he's using okay by using the Lilliputans he's trying to say I'm not talking about England right now this is not him alone Shakespeare also does that right so we actually have a long tradition of saying all these things because you have uh, if he's talking about religion right you have this idea of religious laws being used right yeah and you still a so-called religious state right the king the queen or the king is the head of the church and the state right now 
uh, Swift is negotiating all those things, right? He's not a fool to write, and he's not a bold post-romantic writer, right? Uh, he's not like Rushdie, or he's not like any real uh, the idea of boldness and standing up against the system and all that kind of thing happens uh, with Beethoven, as we've talked about, right? Where Beethoven actually is a small little artist who act, uh, who dedicates his uh, composition called Eureka or the Emperor Concerto, right? To Napoleon, right? And when he finds that Napoleon is becoming a dictator, he calls for a public performance in the uh, in the concert hall in Vienna, right? And he tears the dedication and he throws it off, right? Now that's a great romantic scene, right? Now is Swift a romantic? This is much before the romantics, right? Yeah, and he's very careful, like Shakespeare is very careful, right, of not offending people, right? And of course, they they do fall here and there uh, against what we might imagine as the ideal, right? Yeah. So Shakespeare tries to uh, actually talk about James the first, right? And he's talking about Macbeth, right? And he's talking about Macbeth's. Uh, None of Macbeth's heirs will be uh, the, uh, a king, right? Yeah, that's what the witches say in Macbeth, right? And he's talking about Banco, and Banco will not be a king, but all the people, uh, he's have a long reign of the uh, king's descendants, right? Yeah, so he's, Shakespeare's doing that in the time of James I, right? And he's actually uh, playing a very careful game over there, right? He uh, adapts things and all that. He's got a lot of two things that he said, right? And he's also taking, the very fact that he's taking on Macbeth is actually going back in time and actually playing court to the king, right? So, uh, how do we read this text, right? It's, you can read it as about uh, how do we get up children, how do we bring up children, right? Uh, an educational policy, the idea of a platonic understanding of the world, right? Yeah, so it's as if, uh, these people know Plato, they've read the Platonic and this, uh, the, uh, the world. That's one of the things. Oh, they're actually Platonic and this is what we should aspire to. Okay, or aspire towards, right? And when he's talking about uh, uh, men and women being educated, actually in the pre-Socratic era, you have Pythagoras, right? And Pythagoras is cool and it's only Aristotle who brings all these uh, sanctions against women, right? Because in the Pyth uh, maybe even Plato does that, right? But in the Pythagorean school, it was a joint school where men and women live together and work together, right? Yes, yeah, so uh, that of course is in some universities, was in Ifro Hyderabad in the past, right? But uh, in England, all the hostels, etc., are common hostels, right? It's not a common room, but it's a common hostel where men and women live together, right? Yeah, so. Uh, and of course, uh, Indians get shocked about that, okay? Um, so, the question is, people are free, and they're allowed to be free, right? And they, they have a choice, they're grown-ups, so they have a choice to decide what to do with their lives and their time, and nobody's supposed to try to dictate uh, things to them, right? Yeah, so that's the idea. So, how do we read this? Yes, we read this as a travel narrative, we read this as partly irony, right? And we look at the fact that it's 
very carefully manipulating things, sometimes giving a kick to the English, sometimes not. And if you actually try to pin Swift down, he said, no, I'm talking about this imaginary place called Lilliput. And which, according to the narrative, is actually there, right? And it's just a work of fiction, right? Yeah, so I don't know whether he's been charged for that, or pulled up or anything, right? But the structure of the narrative is trying to tell you that, look, this is about these people, right? And of course, everybody would know that this is not real, right? And some of it, you would be able to understand that it's about England and it's about the English people and all the kinds of customs and traditions that they have, right? And it's saying that these people are different, but it's that's where the satire works, right? So, uh, yeah, that of course, I think uh, I am not capable of doing it just now because I don't have the resources to tell you whether these customs actually existed in England or not, right? Yeah, but maybe uh, somewhere we'll find some kind of a system over here, right? But he's talking about vigilance and that uh, ties up with this guy called Jeremy Bentham, right? Yeah, and Bentham is a person, uh, I don't know whether the dates coincide, right? Yeah, uh, or whether Swift had, uh, yeah, the, I don't know where Bentham is, uh, I don't remember the exact dates. And if you want to I'll look it up in the dictionary, right? And give uh, it just now, okay? But the idea is, Bentham is talking about surveillance, right? Today we're talking about a surveillance world, right? Where we have cameras, like we have a camera here, right? And uh, we're going to have cameras in every classroom. We're going to have cl cameras. If you see Charlie Chaplin, you have a camera even in the, in the washroom, right? Yeah? And that's the whole idea of the private and the public which is an important kind of debate which is taking place at that point of time, right? So, does a child have a private life, right? Now, this is what we are talking about Plato, but this is what happens in totalitarian governments like China and Russia and all these kind of places, right? Where uh, you're cut away from your parents, right? The Nazis tried to do it, but were not very successful, right? Uh, they had spies, the children or the Hitler youth uh, actually were spies in their own parents and all those kind of things, right? But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, but when you have, in Russia, you have this idea of uh, separation from the parents and just as it is over here, much after Swift, of course, right? Yeah, so you have all those kind of things where you detach, the state is important, not the parent, right? Yeah, the state is the one who is responsible for your life, not your parents. Right? Now that is something that is a different kind of way of operation, but it's an important thought, especially in education. Right? So it's not Swift's thought alone, it comes from Plato, right? and many other people have talked about it. Right? And the idea of uh, not spoiling the children by giving them sweets and presents and all that kind of thing is something important. Right? Yeah? Because that's also where masculinity begins, right? the idea of treating a male child as indifferent, unemotional, all those kind of things are also happening over here, right? And the English try to pride themselves on being very disciplined, right? And many other people would try to say that the English are uh, very unemotional, right? Of course, but the most important thing is the amount of poetry that the English write shows them as very, very emotional people, but they don't show that emotion. Right? So this idea of not meeting the child, not giving presents and sweets 
in the presence of somebody else is talking about restraint and control, right? So this is the neoclassical balance, right? At one level, it's saying that, well, you, you are allowed to meet your children, you're allowed to kiss them, but you're not supposed to give them presents and you're not supposed to spoil them. You have to have a balance between uh, affection and um, uh, education, right? Yeah. So uh, I think the other thing he was talking about, ability and morality. Now this is education and affection and where you draw the line and that's an important thing and this is a time when the idea of Englishness is beginning to happen, right? When they're talking about uh, what is it to be English, right? Yeah, so that's a cultural and a very important cultural tradition and of course slowly at the time of Samuel Johnson, right? Uh, about this time, right? is when you have the dictionary being written, the English language being systematized, the punctuations being looked at, right? So uh, you can look at all these uh, developments which are taking place around this time, right? Uh, the per yeah, how much time do I have? About four minutes left. Yeah, I've got enough time left. Yeah, do you want me to stop? Somebody's come up with something else, right? Yeah. Yeah, do you have a question or is there any more question? Right, I'm, I'm sorry. If yeah, uh, but we have another class, but this is just two. Okay, I don't mind stopping, right? Yeah, okay, fine, thank you, right? Yeah, we'll stop and I'll...